Welcome to the podcast Israel and Christians Today. This podcast is brought to you by Christians for Israel International. Join us on a journey as we explore and discover God's love for and His promises to the Jewish people. Our goal is to understand Israel and world events from a biblical perspective. Enjoy this new podcast episode. Well, hello and welcome everybody to another podcast episode of Israel and Christians Today. My name is Andrew Tucker. I'm here in the Netherlands and my guest today, as it is for these uh, series of podcasts, is Johannes Gerloff, who's sitting in Jerusalem. And it's uh, a great pleasure to see you again, Johannes. Shalom. Shalom. So at the moment, um, we're recording this in the middle of the Jewish uh, high holidays. Uh, and of course, it's a, it's, a, it's a time when Israel is in a pandemic as well. Um, how, how are things at the moment in Israel for you? Um, we're closed into our houses. We're allowed to leave them. I'm not sure if, whether 500 meters or 1,000 meters. Um, if, you, if you have some sports activities or a dog, you can run a little further. So suddenly a lot of people do sports. Um, but otherwise, you're not allowed to leave. And it's, um, you know, we have the, the Feast of Tabernacles at the moment. And, and there is a commandment for the Feast of Tabernacles. And that is to be joyful. And I have the feeling it was never so, so tough than these times, except for some war times. Right. So, Johannes, today we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about the two-state solution. And the topic of our conversation today is this idea that has been on the table for many decades. And that is that somehow this land uh, should have two states for two peoples. There are two peoples claiming the, the land, uh, the Jewish people and the Palestinians. And therefore, uh, the only equitable and just solution is that each one should have their own state. And it seems to kind of make sense. And this is the policy, as far as I understand it, of the European Union. It's the policy of the Arab nations in the Arab League and the Arab uh, Peace Initiative of 2002. It's endorsed by the United Nations. So it seems that everybody thinks that this is the solution, and yet on the ground, it's not really happening. Uh, we had the Oslo agreements uh, 20, more than 20 years ago now, which were intended to provide a pathway to Palestinian independence. But as all of us know, the negotiations have completely come to a standstill. Um, and the Palestinians have rejected President Trump's proposal. They seem to be rejecting pretty much any proposal that comes their way. And I'm wondering, you know, is there some problem with this idea? Um, is, is this the solution or um, should, should there be uh, another way of, of looking at this? And you're an expert, you've written about the Palestinians, you understand Palestinian society. Uh, and of course, I think we all long for a resolution of the situation in the West Bank. We'll talk a little bit more about that. 
about what that situation is, but you know, none of us are happy with the current status quo. Do you feel that the two-state solution is a, you know, is this the model we should all be looking at or should we be thinking of alternatives? I think that you, you, you pretty well described the European or maybe even the international Western point of view of the whole situation here. Um, but at the same time, as somebody living in the Middle East, I feel as, as if you have thrown a whole bunch of questions at me and, and looking and analyzing here the situation in, in the Middle East, um, I would like to, to tear a little bit simple que single questions apart. And um, let me wake, make one statement. As a European, as a German who lives here for nearly three decades now, I think the only situation that will be coming close to peace or will be fruitful you, you see, I'm trying to avoid the, the word solution and the word peace. Uh, um, for, for the people who live here in the Middle East, will be a solution or will be a, um, a, a, a state of affairs that the people here in the Middle East think is meaningful. So they have to pay for it. They have to bear it. I do personally think that all the money that comes from outside, all the initiatives that come from the outside are not helpful. I think it's Israelis and Arabs who have to come to terms with each other and not Germans or Americans or Australians or Dutch or whomever you take dictating their ideas on people here. The first thing I want to make here is if you come and ask for a solution. What solution do you have to the German problem in Europe? What solution do you have to the European problem? We are trying now, quite successful and quite peaceful, but we are trying for 70 years to find a solution for, for, for the problem of Europe. And we moved into nation states and we, thought, we saw that they brought a lot of blood to us. And then we are moving to a multinational state again. And the borders are constantly changing. They just changed. They were last year in other borders than now because of the British decided that they are Brexiting out. So there is constant change. And nobody comes and say, now we have to have a solution now. Why don't we come as outsiders and say to Israelis and, and Arabs who are living here, just relax. We are trying in Europe. Why don't you try? Why are we always demand, demanding a solution? I actually got to that point when somebody asked for a solution on the Balkan conflict. And then some diplomat in the UN said, the moment we are asking for a solution, we will have a war. Just remember that Germany does not have a peace treaty with Holland. Just remember that Germany does not have a peace treaty with France or with Great Britain. We have treaties, but we got there step by step. And the main thing was not to have a solution or to have a peace treaty or have to have a, 
uh, I don't like the word final solution because it, it sounds like Endlösung in German, which has a very bad uh, taste for, for Israelis. Um, but but we, we said that the well-being of the people living there is the major objective we have. And why don't we apply that to the Middle East? Well, why do you live think that is? will help you. Well, why do you think that is, Johannes? That's very interesting. If you're saying Europe on... Europe's own experience is not to present a solution. Why does Europe want to apply a solution to this complex? I have no idea. Mm. I want to, I want to bring, bring a second thing you, you just threw at me. And that was that a two-state solution basically is based on an ideology of nation states. On an ideology that says each nation has to have a state and these states have to re relate to each other. And some people even get that far that they say that every nation has a right to self-determination and has a right to have a state. Where is that written? I might ask you as an international lawyer whether that is right and whether that is true for all the nations in Europe. Why do the Sorbs, you don't even know possibly who are the Sorbs, they are in the, in, in, in the area of Czech Republic, Germany and Poland, a, a nation that lives there. Why don't they have an own state? Or go into, into, all the states of, uh, into all the nations of Russia. You could split up Russia into a lot of states. Where, where, where is that written? Now, if I come here in the Middle East, and I actually was alerted to that by a, a sheikh of the Hamas, who once when I asked him about his goals, he said, you have to understand that the idea of a nation is a European idea that we don't understand. We have tribes, we have families, we have different language groups, and we have different religions. And they dominate each other or fight with each other or liberate themselves or uh, they're, they're, it's all in a flow. But there is nothing permanent. And they, I, I remember another conversation in this context with another Palestinian, and I'm now using a, a term Palestinian. You, saw, you, you might have realized that I avoided it because also the idea of a Palestinian nation is a European product. And I got alerted to that when I asked a Palestinian in the old city of Jerusalem, I asked, who are you? Where are we living here? And he said, I'm a Muslim. And I said, okay, I'm a Christian, but that's not a nation. And how do I explain that to a Hindu or to a Buddhist? And he said, oh, I'm a Kurd. And he actually would be considered from a Dutch point of view or from a German point of view as a Palestinian, but certainly not as a Kurd. But he is very proud to be a Kurd because the last big emperor who really changed something here, that was Salah Hadin, and he was a Kurd. Now, look, if I take you into this thinking, and I just touched two issues, the issue of the solution and the issue of a nation state. We now have to go into the whole issue of separation. And you went back to the Oslo Accords, but the Oslo Accords are pretty new. We don't think just in decades here. We don't just think in centuries. People here, I mentioned before, Salah Adin, he drove out the Crusaders. So that was a thousand years ago. So <laughs> um, we think in millennia here. And people here have, have genealogies that go back to 
I know somebody who can prove his descent, a Jew, who can prove his descent from King David. It's not just that he claims it. It's not just like I know my genealogy back to the 40-year uh, war, and, and that's where basically Germany, everything was destroyed. Um, and I'm not an American who know that his ancestors uh, came with the Mayflower or whatever. But here we have people who go back to King David. I met people who have an ancestry that goes back to the prophet Muhammad. And they can prove it. But they would rather think in tribes and they know that they're part of the tribe of Quraysh, which was Muhammad, but actually the tribe of Quraysh originally was a Jewish tribe. So you, you see that's a totally different thinking. And if you now come and say, now we want to divide into nation states, you, you have to first make nations and you have to get people to think in these categories. And don't forget that we as Europeans had this ideology only for 150, 200 years. We saw that, that it that didn't work. And now we are moving back into and try to educate our children into being Europeans again. So it's, it's a tricky situation. Yeah, well, that's very interesting, um, Johannes. But where does, that, where does that leave us? Because we have a, we have a state of Israel. Um, I mean, I guess in sort of international law terms, you know, you have sort of, sort of boxes that you can fit things into. And one of those boxes is statehood. We kind of know what a state is. We, we know what it looks like and what it feels like. And the state of Israel is a state. It's clearly under international law. It exists as a state. Um, how do we get around that? Because it's the existence of the state of Israel, I suspect, which is provoking the Palestinians or at least their political leadership to also want a state. They say, well, if the Jews have one, we should have one too. Um, and I'm wondering, how, you know, how do we get around this? We can't turn back the clock, as it were, and say, well, there shouldn't be a Jewish state because there is one. And in a way, it's the only thing we can kind of deal with. Look, if you go, if you look at uh, uh, Theodor Herzl's Der Judenstaat, you have to remember that he was a Hungarian Jew that was working in Austria. And Austria-Hungary at that time was a multinational state. But he talked about Der Judenstaat and the what basically birthed that state, and we have to have this factor in mind, was a hatred of the Jews that was so prevalent that, that uh, Theodor Herzl said, only if we take up responsibility, we will be respected and we will not be hated. We know today that it didn't work. So he did not want to fulfill biblical prophecy. He did not want to adhere to a, some kind of European ideology, because if you look at his book, Der Judenstaat, the, the, the Jewish state, it's actually a multinational state. It's not a nation state. If you read the book under this kind of perspective. So um, he had the idea of Jews living together with Arabs. 
but he didn't make the calculation with the Arabs and he didn't make the calculation that there is a, a, a hatred of the Jews that we would not call anti-Semitism. It is, it is more religious than racial as it was in the time of, of, of or racist in the time of, of Herzl in Europe. So we, 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 we have to draw these factors into account and you mentioned international law, and you're an expert on international law, and that is certainly an aspect. But, but from an Israeli point of view, I would ask who enforces international law? And who gives international law if we have it, and if we actually would have it without discussion, who imposes it on people who don't like it? With every law, you need a law enforcing authority. And my observation is that the Jewish state does not exist because the, the, the League of the Nations or the United Nations decided, but the Jewish state exists because it never lost a war. If it would have lost even one war, it would not exist anymore because of this hatred of the Jews. So um, the Jewish state as we have it today is a product, yes, on the one side of a European idea of nation states that try to find a solution in a, a pretty messy situation. But if you look into Syria, it's not just the Jews who are the problem here. If you read Karamai or other, other uh, literature from, the, from, the, from 100, 150 years ago, you see that there was always fighting here. And if you didn't move around with a gun in your hand, you were lost. So, um, if we, I, I feel personally that the whole talk about the two-state solution is the kind of not seeing a solution and not seeing a way out of Europeans who try to find something and then they don't find too many people who like the idea here. Um, and, and so they try to impose it. But from a, from a Jewish point of view, the, the other big factor of, of creating a state of Israel and of having the necessity of a state of Israel is the hatred of the Jews, of the Arabs and of the world. And where Jews say we have to have a state in order to, to defend ourselves, to, to allow ourselves to live and to, 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 to make that possible. Well, Johannes, let me just pick up on that point. You mentioned the idea of a multi-nation state that Herzl was thinking of Jews and Arabs living together. Couldn't you say that the state of Israel today is really the fulfillment of that vision? Because the state of Israel, it's a Jewish state, sure, but it's made up of Jews and Arabs and a whole bunch of other people, and they're all Israeli citizens. Um, I think over 20% of Israel are non-Jews. Non Shouldn't we be looking at Israel as a model rather than a problem? I would agree. I would fully agree. And I could uh, gather the facts and sort the facts out in a way so I could argue for, it, for that. But then I would be a proponent of a one-state solution. And I have to be honest, there is one problem. It's a one-state solution where the, the Jews always have the upper hand. That means there, there will not 
be a general chief of staff of the state of Israel who is a non-Jew. There will not be a prime minister of the state of Israel who is a non-Jew. But um, there, there might be solutions, and, and if you want, we can talk about that. Uh, but, but then we would have to go back in history and see how this whole situation developed. And we have to draw into account also what happened with the Arab nations around us. And what do you mean by that? I mean by that, for example, that the king of Jordan, his great-grandfather was expelled from Saudi Arabia. He is the one who has a, a descendancy or who, who comes from the Prophet Muhammad. The Saudis don't like that. And originally the partition was between a Jewish state and an Arab state of the Ottoman Empire. But then you had an Arab kingdom and the Arabs didn't, or half of them, or I don't know, a powerful part of them did not like it and expelled the, the traditional rulers in Mecca. So you have to go back there and look at the, at the whole picture, not just at the, and I say that in quotation marks, the Jewish question. So Johannes, what, what you're actually explaining to us, and I think is very helpful, is that the picture is much bigger than just what we call the Israeli-Palestinian conflicts. And perhaps the paradigm that, you know, seems to be put constantly in front of us, that this is conflict between Israel and the Palestinians, we need to kind of break open that paradigm. I, and I, that's what I take away from what you've been sharing with us, is to perhaps break that down and think in a bigger picture about what are the nations, who are the peoples who are living in this whole area and look at beyond Israel and the Palestinians to include the nations around them. And I think that's an interesting topic that I'd love to sh get into with you uh, in the next episode that we could perhaps explore together. Think sure. that's a good idea? Sure. And I, it will help us to understand better what happened now with the whole normalization agreement with the United Arab Emirates, because it suddenly makes perfectly sense. Right. So it's amazing. I think we're living in incredibly interesting times. Thank you all for listening uh, or watching wherever you may be. And I look forward to um, seeing you or hearing you or you hearing and seeing us in the next episode of Israel and Christians today. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this podcast episode. We'd like to connect with you online. Find us on Facebook, visit our YouTube page and check out our website. For now, thank you for listening and we'd like to see you next time. Bye-bye.